This is a Commitment 2020 special. The WLWT debates. Tonight, the race for Ohio's 2nd Congressional District between Congressman Brad Wenstrup and Jamie Castle. Here now, Stephen Albritton. Good evening. Tonight we are bringing you a live debate featuring the two people battling to represent you in Congress. We are focused on Ohio's 2nd District, which covers eastern Hamilton County and spreads east all the way to Scioto and Pike counties. Joining us is the incumbent Republican Congressman Dr. Brad Wenstrup. Congressman Wenstrup has represented the 2nd District since 2013. He's a graduate of the University of Cincinnati, serves in the U.S. Army Reserve, and has deployed to Iraq as a combat surgeon. Dr. Wenstrup is also a small business owner owner and has treated patients in Southwest Ohio for 26 years. His challenger is Jamie Castle. Miss Castle graduated from Miami University and has been a teacher for years at Roger Bacon and in Cincinnati Public Schools. This is her first time running for office. We welcome both of you and thank you guys for joining us tonight. Now we have an hour tonight to talk about the issues facing the people in the second district and throughout Ohio. We're going to begin with opening statements from each of you. Congressman Wenstrup, by virtue of a coin toss, you have the first opening statement and you have a minute and a half, sir. Well, thank you very much, Steve. And I want to thank you and WLW for hosting this event tonight and for our viewers for being here tonight. And I want to thank you, Jamie, for being here with us tonight as well. You know, I was born and raised in Cincinnati. I've lived here my entire life, except for my years of medical training in Chicago, as well as my year in Iraq. But Cincinnati and Southern Ohio has been my home, and I've had the opportunity to enjoy all the advantages that we have in both our urban setting and our rural setting. But also through that time, I've had the opportunity to understand the challenges that each one of them face. You know, if you go back to earlier this year, our economy was rolling along and we had record low levels of unemployment. And then we were hit by a pandemic that harmed each and every American in some way. And although it was an opportunity to unite us, for many, they took it as a chance to divide us. But I did see many Americans doing great things, not only for each other, but also manufacturers coming around to create the supplies that we need to fight this pandemic. But folks, we have a path forward. We have a path forward to restore our American normal way of life and also to renew our commitment to one another and to the opportunities of the American dream, as well as rebuild this great economy. We've done it before and we can do it again, and we must do it because all Americans are essential. Thank right. you. Doctor, thank you so much, we appreciate it. Uh, now to the opening statement from Jamie Castle. You have a minute and a half. My name is Jamie Castle. I am running to be your next Congresswoman for Ohio's 2nd District. I am a public school teacher, a mother of two, and a small business owner. And I am an advocate for all people living in this district. I want to be the champion no matter where you live, from Mount Adams looking over the city of Cincinnati to the Appalachian foothills and small historic towns. Whether you are in Hillsborough, Chillicothe, Georgetown, Portsmouth, Piketon, Goshen Green Hills, Manchester, or Mount Washington, I want to get to work for you. When our founding fathers designed America, it wasn't a finished and fixed thing. We are still building America, and I believe it has not reached its full potential. When I am your Congresswoman, I will get right to work building alliances across the aisle because we need important things done right here, right now, and I want to get to work for you. I would also like to thank WLWT 
for having this tonight and for the opportunity to speak. For Congressman Wenstrup, thank you. And for everyone at home listening and watching, thank you so much. All right, thank you both for your opening statements. Now to the question and answer portion of the debate, what we all came here for. All of tonight's questions have been prepared by the WLWT staff and neither candidate has been given any of those questions in advance. Each of you will have a minute and a half to answer each question. If I need to ask a follow-up, you will each have an additional 30 seconds. Congressman, you do have the first question of the night. Ohio's governor has been roundly criticized by both Republicans and Democrats for his handling of the coronavirus crisis. When it comes to shutting businesses down and forcing people to wear masks in public, is there anything that you would have done differently? A minute and a half, sir. Well, I think, you know, at the beginning, it was very, uh, there were a lot of people critical and you can never know what you prevented. That's one of the things in medicine. And so when you talked about shutting things down, I agreed with the HHS in coming out and saying, we want to flatten the curve. We don't want our emergency rooms and our ICUs to be overrun, our hospitals to be overrun. And I think that was very appropriate. As we move forward, I think it, it was appropriate that we looked at each area. You know, for example, uh, for the first four months or so of this in Scioto County, Southern Ohio Medical Center, they had no admissions for COVID. So what you want to do there is different from what you want to do in another area. Our rural areas were different from Cincinnati. Cincinnati was different from New York. Alaska is different from New York. And so we had to take all those things into consideration. But the fact of the matter is we're learning a lot about this virus. We know more about it now than we knew back then. And that's what's important to realize. And we've seen so many tremendous gains. Right now we see treatments that are available for people and vaccine just around the corner. So it's hard to be critical. I was never a fan of somebody who is being critical without solutions and non-constructive without solutions. So I think that we've learned a lot as we've gone. I can tell you that as a doctor and I've studied. I've studied what China knew and I've studied what we knew and how we have adapted and made changes. And the medical community is going to solve this more than anywhere else. And I think that we have to let that play out. And I think that it's important, though, that we do adhere to CDC guidelines. All right, doctor. Thank you, Ms. Castle. A minute and a half to you. What would you have done differently? Well, hindsight is 2020. I remember being very proud of our governor early on and my friends and I saying he is showing leadership. It was very frustrating that the states had to figure this out for themselves. It should have been from the top down so that the governors that were maybe more strict with the shutdowns weren't made out to be like the bad guys. We had to do what we could with what we knew. And like Dr. Amy Acton said, worst case scenario, you shut down and people live, but you don't know how many people you saved, that's a good problem to have. It's frustrating for me as a parent and as a teacher, because I feel like if the leadership were stronger, then we would have a plan for schools opening and we would have been more successful with that. I think he did the right thing in listening to science and being cautious. This is something that we have not lived through before. And I think the end game is more of us are here alive at the end of this pandemic. It's gonna be hard with the economy, but we can get that back. We can't get back lives. And I think I would have had the mask mandate earlier statewide, but again, that is hindsight because we do know that masks help.
Oh, we're going to stay in the same vein real quick on the question too. Ms. Castle, you have this first question. This year, the pandemic has taken a devastating toll on our kids, specifically their education. Ms. Castle, no doubt you've seen it firsthand as a teacher for Cincinnati Public, Congressman as a doctor as well. So I ask both of you, should schools have remained closed once the governor, the CDC, and American Academy of Pediatrics recommended sending kids back to class? A minute and a half, ma'am. It's really terrible that we have to play this science experiment with our children, with our teachers, with our support staff, with our bus drivers, cafeteria workers, with the families at home that are compromised. It is great that we have technology now, because imagine if this had happened even 20 years ago, how different it would be. It would just be handouts going home, and you wouldn't have that connection at all, even digitally. Had we had strong leadership and had we had some guidance, I feel like the schools would have been in a better position to design different kinds of programs to work for different kinds of students. I am very worried about the kids that are at risk and I feel like we could have done better by them. There is a huge problem with childcare and working families, single mothers, and this has affected them as well. I think that we need to trust the science and listen to the science as far as how to reopen safely. The problem is too that these schools need more resources. The HEROES Act would have helped schools have more support staff, have more places where we could spread out. And I think right now we're doing the best with what we have and we are asking everyone to be very flexible with that. But it's going to take time to overcome even these learning deficits. All right, Congressman, a minute and a half to you. Yeah, you know, I think early on it was really important that we just take a pause and shut things down. That made sense. We, there was so much that we didn't know. We were realizing that this was a virus that was spreading pretty rapidly. We weren't quite sure how, how it was spreading all the time and what effects that it would have. And so I think that that was important at the beginning, but as we started to realize who are the most vulnerable and, and who is getting this, and you know, we know right now that some people get this and they have absolutely no symptoms. Some people lose some taste and smell temporarily, cough or a cold, and other people, unfortunately, get very severely ill. And, and of course, some have succumbed, unfortunately. So we, we start to know who they are. The American Pediatric Society did stress the importance of kids being able to go to school. And there's a lot to be said for this about doing it safely. You know, when, when we were shut down and I'd drive through the district, my son was able to, in our home, go online and be on with his teachers virtually and also to do homework. We have a printer. We have a computer that can do that. A lot of people don't. I'd see people with kids out in the front yard. I know they don't have that in their home, and that is a problem. And, and uh, what is right to it is a problem right now with child care. We have to reopen that and do it safely. My son right now is going to school. He's in first grade. They have protective barriers. They wash their hands as they get to school. They stay apart. They are masked. And so far, so good. But that's only because we have learned so much through this process. Okay. Well, we're going to keep things moving along to a new topic. Our third question of the evening. Uh, Congressman, this question goes to you first. We've seen protests throughout Ohio fighting for equal rights, specifically in black communities. What's one thing you've done in your job now to fight social injustice? Well, I've been doing it throughout my whole life. That is nothing new since being in my job. 
you know, I was, I grew up in the, in the 60s, and I grew up in a home where racism wasn't tolerated, and I grew up watching Martin Luther King, and I vividly remember him saying that we should judge people by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin. And I have lived through my life stressing that it's important that we look at people from the inside, not from the outside, and judge all equal. I've had the great opportunity in the military to serve in Iraq, and it wasn't until I got home and one of my friends, African-American, said to me, race didn't matter, did it, once she saw my pictures. And I, that made me pause, and I realized that of the 15 people that serve under me in the operating room there, I was the only Caucasian. And I will tell you, they were there when I got sworn in into Congress. So I've lived a life that has been free of this. Now, as far as protests, I will always fight for the right for peaceful protesting. That is non-negotiable. But I will also protect the idea that we must have law and order in our country. That is non-negotiable as well. So I will continue to fight for that. And it's been very clear that we have moments of this. You look at the Justice Act that we've put forward uh, just recently with Tim Scott, African-American senator, a victim of racism, and a bill that we put together with Pete Stauber from, uh, he was a retired policeman, and he's in the Congress, and he put this bill together, and I would hope that we could get that done. All right, Ms. Castle, what's one thing you've done in your job now to fight social injustice? One minute and a half. Well, this has been very dear to my heart with witnessing the unrest that has been happening throughout our nation. And for me as a white woman, I understand that this is a journey trying to understand the pain that people of color have gone through. I am now trying to learn every day how to be a better ally, to listen and take suggestions. And when I mess up, I will say sorry and try better the next time. It is so sad that this has become a political issue for some. Black Lives Matter and everyone should be able to say that. It does not mean that black lives only matter. It means they matter too. And please see that they are suffering. It is frustrating that the congressman was there to help the law enforcement and say, what do you need? He should have been with the leaders of the black community saying, what do you need too? We need to come together on this. We can support law enforcement and black lives. As a teacher, I always try to be fair with all of my students. I always check any implicit bias that I think might be coming off. I try to understand that you do have to look at black and white and understand that there's a story behind that and there's a lot of pain behind that. And I want to strive to be a future person helping to help them overcome. Okay, oh, 30 seconds. Yeah, uh, to say that I haven't been there with the black community is, is erroneous. Uh, I became a big brother when I was 29 years old to a young African-American boy, and we're still in contact today. I'm involved with a group called Bo uh, Boys Hope, Girls Hope, where predominantly the kids that are in this group are African-American, and they get scholarships to schools. But I also have worked within our community with the African-American leaders, had roundtables with them to discuss what is needed in the community, and I've been doing that for some time, including going back to when I ran for mayor of Cincinnati. All right, Ms. Castle, you have 30 more seconds. I'm glad to hear that you have done all that. I wish that your 
campaign page would reflect that more. I wish that you were at the NAACP debate because showing up shows that you care and that you want to listen and speak to all of the people of this district. It is so important to not be there just for a photo op, but to be there and see the suffering and see also the celebration. So that's all. All right. Well, we're going to stay in this uh, same general area. Uh, one idea to create change is to defund police, generally taken to mean moving some money from police budgets and investing that money into social services, increased mental health, uh, mental health help, schools and communities that are struggling. Should we defund police? And if you think that's the answer, what do you say to the officers who risk their lives protecting us? Ms. Castle, you have a minute and a half. I do not like that phrase at all. It has such negative connotations and coming from an education background, background, I know that defunding doesn't help anything. You have to do more with less, and that is not the answer. We do have to really come to the table and talk about any kind of systematic racism that is present. It is so important for all people involved. We need a system that works for everyone and is just. I like the idea of reimagining the police where we do give them resources like social services to help in certain calls. I think though that we need to support them in helping them to be accountable. There are things we can do from the federal level like give them resources for body cams to use. Also, to have a system where a police officer's record can follow them and not be hidden, but we have something to keep them accountable. We need to make sure that there is safety in the culture so that the bad actors are able to be called out in a safe way that doesn't punish those that are trying to speak up. Congressman, you have a minute and a half. Yeah, well, I'm obviously against defunding police for a variety of reasons because I think, as I've said before, that law and order is non-negotiable. But at the same time, there, there are plenty of opportunities for change. And we put those in the Justice Act, which unfortunately, when it was presented in the Senate, was not allowed to come to the floor. Their rules are different. The minority can block it. In the House of Representatives, we weren't allowed to bring it to the floor by the Speaker. But let me just tell you what was in that. It was an opportunity, as mentioned, to collect data so you can see when when bad behavior is taking place and what has taken place in America over time is that people that have a bad record of policing can leave that police force and go to another police force and that doesn't follow them this Justice Act puts that into effect that there is a data bank there's also data about how we interact with the civilians how our police interact with the civilians so that people will understand that there may be a pattern of, of bad behavior and nip that in the bud and all of that is important, but I also put things in place that wouldn't federalize taking over local and state police, but would grant opportunities to our local and state police to have funding to go ahead with things like body cams and to be able to collect the data and so that we make a better police force that's fair to each and every citizens and so that we do have equal justice under the law. That's what we're after, but getting rid of law enforcement is not the answer. Okay, let's get to uh, the Second Amendment and guns. Uh, Congressman Wetstrup, you're a loyal NRA supporter, but at the same time, you've seen gun violence firsthand. What do you say to a family who's been a victim of gun violence? Could much of it have been prevented with sensible gun restrictions? Well, I think that we do have some gun restrictions in place and background checks. The problem we were finding in our country is they weren't always following through on them. In some cases, some of these things that happened uh, could have been prevented. 
I look at this in some ways the same way that I do at, at drug addiction. And if we're really going to solve a problem, we have to really step back and think about what are the events and circumstances in someone's life that leads them to the thoughts and then ultimately the behaviors of gun violence. You know, I look at some of the collateral damage that has occurred during, during COVID and the isolation. It's one thing to focus on the disease at hand, and that's, that's appropriate, but we also have to be taking a look at things. We've seen an increase in domestic violence, an increase in suicide, an increase in violence altogether, as we've even seen in our streets. And I think that you have to address all of this as a whole and can't just blame a certain item, but we have to get to the root of why someone feels it's appropriate for them to take those types of actions and to make sure that we intercede on that. You know, I think it's ironic that we're at a time in our country where the ACLU, ACLU has blocked things like the Ten Commandments being in front of a public school. That has happened right here in our district. So what you're saying, what, what America is telling people, that it is inappropriate to put thou shalt not kill in front of a school. There's a lot of things that we have to look at in our society and with individuals and how they're being affected. Ms. Castle, you've been in a classroom consoling kids during a school lockdown. Is it sensible to think that a person who's trained properly and keeps a gun in a safe place should have the right to protect themselves in their own home? A minute and a half. Oh, of course. I think the Second Amendment is very important and the law-abiding citizen should keep that right. I know it is so important to many people in our district. We have a lot of rural folks, including my parents, out in Adams County, and they have a gun range for their target shooting, and the sportsmanship of that is fine. It is frustrating, though, when people don't come to the table to solve the violence that is done with guns. And as a teacher, it is sad to see that this is the case, this is the new normal. Myself and many thought that Sandy Hook would have been the impetus to change. I think of the Gutenberg family and their loss with Jamie. And I think, what could we have done to prevent that? So you can keep your guns if you are lawful, but we can come to the table and think of ways to keep guns out of dangerous people. There are red flag laws that we can put in place in a fair way to take away guns from people that are danger to others or themselves. We can update the system as well for people that are deemed as violent so that it is kept up to date so that law enforcement can act on that. It is frustrating to the future, to children, to think that adults are just going to fight over this and not solve anything. I want to be changed on this in a productive way. Okay. Uh, next up, we're going to move on to the opioid epidemic, which has affected so many people here in Ohio. Uh, we recently heard from a mother who lost her son to a heroin overdose say the drug problem is a pandemic of its own. She lost her son 18 years ago. We've spent millions of dollars and have known about this problem for years, yet Ohio ranks third in the nation for overdose deaths. Ms. Castle, we'll start with you a minute and a half. What will you do to fight the drug war that is destroying local families? It is so sad, Stephen. I had the opportunity to go to the Ross County Recovery Center right outside of Chillicothe before the shutdown. And I have seen the pain from Christina, who lost her daughter to this disease. 
It is heartbreaking. It is something that we have to get to the bottom of because there are many causes for this disease. In our district, there is not a lot of job opportunity and we need more resources for folks here. We need healthcare access, mental healthcare access to be able to treat these people in a way that is lasting. They need opportunities and skills to replace this drug, this need also. It is so hard and frustrating to see the stigma that many people put on people that are struggling. I myself carry in my bag Narcan because I want to be someone that is not gonna put that stigma on a human being. They are suffering and they need help. And it is all of us, it's gonna take all of us to help that very big problem. All right, Congressman, what will you do to fight the drug war that is destroying local families? Well, so much of what we've seen, and it is sad, it's local families, it's actually across the country. I don't think there's an American that doesn't know someone that's lost somebody to a drug overdose. And there are many causes for it. Actually, if you engage in the book Dreamland that, was, that has our district on the cover, it tells you the origin of the problem that we face today. It was a problem with prescription drugs. You know, as a doctor, I can tell you OxyContin, one of the leading killers of, of people, and, and they got people more addicted than ever, is something I never prescribed for any of my patients. I felt it was addictive. But it became known that one, in medicine, you're supposed to treat pain. It's a vital sign. And two, these drugs aren't addictive. That was the word out there and what what ended up happening is too many people got addicted innocently you saw people pill mills popping up and then when you saw us fighting uh, rehab you saw drug drug cartels coming from Mexico and setting up around rehab centers getting some of the most vulnerable involved in heroin so this this problem goes from we the, all the things that we have to do from prevention all the way to work so if we can prevent someone from ever starting and getting engaged in this that is ideal once they are it's our obligation to take care of them and to try to get them in rehab but I think one of the key components if we're going to be successful and I do see this happening we have to have an avenue to work or some way being re-engaged in society in a way that makes you feel whole once again Okay, our next uh, topic is the Commander-in-Chief. Um, Congressman, this question will go to you first. When it comes to the recent ugly turn in American politics, both sides share some blame, but it will be hard to argue that President Trump is not the top offender. Between Twitter rants, name-calling, taunting, even mocking people with disabilities and members of our military. Congressman, you've dealt directly with the President. What have you said to him about what the people you represent expect from him? Well, first, I wouldn't take everything you say as fact. Uh, and I would also say if we saw the first presidential debate, we heard the president called a few names like clown and uh, fool and ridiculous. So unfortunately, that is going on on both sides of the aisle, which is a problem. But I will tell you, I joined the military in 1998. And I joined the military in 98 because <clears throat> we were getting attacked. And I literally called 1-800-USA-ARMY and joined because I thought if we need to go somewhere, I'll go. And I did get to go somewhere. But when I joined, Bill Clinton was the president of the United States. I didn't vote for Bill Clinton, but he was my president and he was my commander in chief. And I respected that. And the problem I think that we have today is we have too many people that don't realize the benefits of living in a country where we get to elect our leaders and we live with the results. We want a fair election and we want to live with those results. And if we, if we don't win, we learn to fight another day. You know, I ran for mayor of Cincinnati. I lost. And when that happened, Mark Mallory, who beat me, a few months later called me and said, I heard what you said about caring about the health and safety of our citizens. 
and I have an appointment that's open on the Board of Health, and I'd like you to fill that. That's the country that I'd like to see taking place. But it's all across the board. We have to admit that. But we also have to respect that we live in a country where we get to elect our leaders, live with those results, and work within those means. Right. Congressman, thank you. Ms. Castle, what would you say, being mindful that if he wins, you likely, if you win, will need the president to side with you from time to time to get things done for the people you represent? As I said in my opening, I will work with anyone across the aisle because things need to get done. I am an everyday person in this district in so many levels. I am exhausted by the hyper-partisanship that we see. These debates, they are triggering for people who have been through abuse. And it has even come from our president. He won fair and square, and we live with the results of our elections. Voting is so important, and I'm hoping that people take that power so much more into consideration this time around. It is frustrating to me as a mother and a teacher to see the person on the very top acting like he is now and being a role model for our children. I don't think so. I would hope that the leader of our great America would be a role model worthy person. But as a woman, as a mother, as a teacher, I can get over any ego to get the work done. I think that too many times the agendas are put first. I will put people and country over party all of the time. Congressman, I saw you shaking your head during a response. 30 seconds to you. Well, I, I would say this, that, you know, whether it was President Barack Obama since I've been in office or President Trump since I've been in office, I may disagree with them. I may disagree with how they say things sometimes. You know, sometimes you can say things really well, but have bad policy. Other times you may not speak that well, but have very good policy. Uh, but when, when the President Obama would reach out to me for discussion on things like trade, I was there. When, when I had the opportunity to speak with the President I disagreed with some of the moves in the Middle East. Uh, he let us in the Oval Office for uh, two hours one day and listened to us. That's the role that we, we play in Congress. Uh, Ms. Castle, you have 30 more seconds. I find it interesting that Congressman talks about working so hard with anyone and didn't even show up to his committee meetings because he didn't like the boss of that committee. I'm not sure if he's putting the people first, and that is very frustrating. I think, too, that we need to pay attention to what our president is saying and tweeting, because it is, it is embarrassing, really. It is for other countries that once looked at us as so great. All right, and our next topic will be the economy, so important in this time of COVID. Uh, Congressman, this question will go to you first. The president keeps saying the economy is rebounding, even thriving. Oh, excuse me, Ms. Castle, you get this question first. The president keeps saying the economy is rebounding, even thriving, and there is evidence to support that. But tell that to the mom and pop stores that closed down for good after the COVID shutdown or the business owner who is barely making it now. What specifically will you do to help the small business owner recover? We need a relief package now. I believe that Congress should be there getting that passed. And it's frustrating that there is a Democratic plan and a Republican plan. I, for one, would like to see 
uh, plan. And I'm hoping that there's a whole lot of fresh energy coming in with this new Congress because these people can't wait. And some of these businesses are not going to come back. My husband works in the restaurant business and I've seen that firsthand. So many people losing their jobs and it's going to be a long time before it gets back to how great it was. I know so many people in the theater and arts and music industry and they are decimated. That is also going to take a long time to recover, but we will recover. It's going to take some federal help, some assistance, and we need to get to work right away to get that to people. And it's going to take some time, a decade at least, to get over this. It's not going to be a quick fix. We need to manage our expectations and realize we're going to be okay. We're going to get through this. The goal needs to be save lives. The jobs will come back. We can take our time with it too, just we need to give support to these businesses that are struggling so hard right now. Congressman, what specifically will you do to help the small business owner recover? Well, if I can go back one second, when I didn't show up for a committee meeting, it was because the, the chairman of the Intelligence Committee was having virtual committee hearings, which was completely appropriate in the intelligence com inappropriate in the intelligence community. Now, going to what you said, we have provided much relief and we can do more. And right now, we have monies that have been authorized and appropriated that are just sitting there. And we have a bill that we want people to sign. Many Democrats want to get on this bill, too, that comes forward and allows for flexibility to move some of this money forward specifically for small businesses and families. But for political purposes, that is being held up. And when we were going to even have it on the floor to, to be signed by members by something called a discharge petition, where both Republicans and Democrats can sign it, and if you get enough, vote, enough signatures, then it must be brought to the floor. So what happened last two weeks ago when we there. We were going to do that on a Friday because there's a timeline to when you can present it on the floor. And what did the speaker do? She sent us all home on Thursday and canceled Congress on Friday because too many people were going to sign it and it would embarrass her. That is a problem. This is not about politics. This should be about taking care of the American people. And when we have things that we all agree on, and we do have it there, let that come forward and at least do that. Rather than being so worried about someone getting a win uh, politically, it's about the American people, so let's get it done, and I'll continue to fight for that. Okay. All right, our next question, we are moving on to the health care system. You both seem to agree that the health care system is broken for too many Ohio families. Congressman, this will be your question first. What specifically do you want to change, and how will it help a family in Claremont County who says they can't afford basic health insurance for their family of four? Yeah, well, it is a problem right now. One of the things that we've seen in medicine, and I can tell you this as a doctor, as I look at the charts and see what's taken place, is you only have a slight rise in providers, but you have a huge rise in administrators. And, and you wonder why people in the medical profession are running for, for office. It's because what's taken place in the government and our system has taken the joy out of taking care of people. But we have plans in place to allow for associations to provide plans. This is a great way for people to get health insurance. And the other thing that, that, is, that we have to be concerned about is that the Affordable Care Act did not give people choice. And what it was promised, that it would cut rates and that you could keep your doctor, that simply isn't true. And I know that firsthand because as members of Congress, we are in the Affordable Care Act. That was an amendment that was put in at the time 
put members in. So I know firsthand some of the pitfalls of it. We need more transparency. We need to know what things cost. I can tell you as a doctor, insurance companies play a lot of games. They won't tell people what it costs. And if we can open that up and get more transparency, that will bring costs down. But we also, no matter what we're talking about, if we don't increase the number of physicians that we are graduating each year and providing residencies for them, it's not going to matter. None of that is going to matter, no matter what plan you put in place. So I'm out there with other doctors in Congress, both sides of the aisle, advocating for patients so that we can come up with cheaper drugs and more access to care than we have right now. Yep. Ms. Castle, what specifically do you want to change and how will it help a family in Claremont County who says they can't afford basic health insurance for their family of four? I believe that the American people are in an abusive relationship with their government in that we should be having a universal health care program. It is so important and other countries do it. If we are the greatest country in the world, why do we not have the greatest health care in the world? It makes no sense and it can be done. Right now with the ACA, we need to strengthen it because the Republicans said they were going to repeal and replace, but we never saw what they were going to replace that with. Healthcare in America is so broken and I agree, we do need more doctors and that's another issue with student loans. We need to get them in school and subsidize that. We need mental health care workers as well because when we do have a system that works for all, people are going to be going to the doctor more with preventative health care options. I think that we need to do it in a way that is stable and responsible because we can't just make a system right away because it needs to be sustainable and work. I see it as a transition from fixing the ACA and then giving a option that people can buy into that's not profit and then having that system that protects everyone. We have got to get the profits out of health care. We don't call 911 and give them our insurance card. They come because that is a service and we should ask for that now. Congressman, 30 seconds, Steve. Yeah, if I may, uh, to say that we never had a plan is actually false um, because we did come up with a plan that was passed in the House of Representatives and went over to the Senate and there it lost by one vote. It was a plan that covered pre-existing conditions and created greater opportunities for other types of health care plans to come forward that would cost less. You know, one of the other things that we can do to reduce costs is, is go to what's called site-neutral outpatient centers owned by physicians cost less than hospital-based care. We can do that and we should do that. Ms. Castle, you have 30 more seconds. Again, it's frustrating that it has to be a Republican plan, a Democratic plan. The people want a plan. Donald Trump has been president for four years and the Republicans hold the Senate. So you have that opportunity to pass a plan. It's not responsible to take away the ACA now with something not there to protect people with pre-existing conditions from losing their health care protections. Everyone is worried right now with COVID as well. We need that help. All right, uh, Ms. Castle, you have this next question. Um, for you, Ms. Castle, running a classroom is far different than taking on Washington. What makes you think you're up for this fight and why should voters take a chance on you? Well, they took a chance on a podiatrist. I'm not sure what, help, what that means as far as working in Washington. I think a teacher brings unique background. I can manage a classroom. I can manage a room. I can speak. I can understand. I can go into a classroom and use my resourcefulness to 
make sure that the children are learning. I can be an advocate for the people of this district because I can bring that transparency and that educational background to explain, hey, this is what I did today and this is how I'm helping you. I think right now, People are just now paying attention to politics in a way that they hadn't before. And it can be overwhelming, but it shouldn't have to be. I think my empathy with dealing with people, that's what teachers do. They don't go into teaching to be rich, to be famous. They want to be a force for good and change. And that is something our elected officials should have as well. I imagine a Congress with more teachers, and that gets me so excited. I think that teachers have our best interests at heart. And I want somebody like me making decisions on my behalf. So I think as a teacher, I bring a lot to the table. And I am just excited about that opportunity, thinking about all the things that can be done. Congressman, Ms. Castle says you're part of the problem in Washington. She claims you propose no real solution, only partisan rhetoric. You've been serving Ohio's second district for the last eight years. What do you say to that? Well, I, I would say one thing is that I do bring a lot of life experiences to the table that have helped me to work across the aisle and to get many things done. Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm part of the problem because I think a lot of things have been solved since I've been in Congress. Uh, as, as a doctor, as a military member, as someone who has served on a board of health, someone who's been a residency director, these are experiences. And this is what I founders, I think, had in mind as you bring experience to the table. Well, I could go down a list of things. When I served on the, on the Armed Services Committee, every year I was on there, we passed that large bill with the largest committee out of committee, 60 to 1, sometimes unanimously. It never gets any attention. The one time it did is when we, they wrote about how we debated whether we should sell cigarettes in the PX anymore. But also, how about the USMCA, that trade deal, as I sit on Ways and Means Committee? That's huge. As I sat on VA Committee and chaired the Health Subcommittee, which was a bill that, that expanded opportunities for veterans to be able to get access to greater to greater health care and more health care we did that in a bipartisan fashion do you know that every member of the committee co-sponsored that bill and it was signed into law and I've been on many bills when it, whether it's VA and almost every bill that gets presented in the Ways and Means Committee comes forward in a bipartisan fashion so I think if you ask my colleagues from the other side of the aisle if I'm there to work for the American people and to work with them they will tell you that I am. All right, and this is a nice segue into our next question. Uh, Congressman, this first question goes to you. At a time when corporate money and lobbyists are rampant in politics and when money often means access, even though it may not mean influence, we'd like you to talk about how you will help people who often find doors closed to them get that access. As a member of Congress who is expected to be a voice for the voiceless, <clears throat> explain the access your constituents will have to you and how you will allow them to influence your agenda in Washington. Yeah, well, they do influence the agenda in Washington. Uh, no matter what you're coming forward with, you're advocating for something, and I think that that's very important. A lot of my day in Washington is running back and forth between committees and going back to pre-COVID anyway, going back to the office and meeting with constituents with their concerns. Uh, I would like to think that you, know, you talk about money, those that support me support my policies and support the things that I think are important for the American people. But there are a lot of times that you don't know of something until someone comes to you. Which brings me to another point in the importance of the role. I have a tremendous staff that works for me. I'm very proud of them. They are patient, kind people. And then when anyone calls my office and they have a problem with a government agency, whether it's the VA, the IRS, or whatever the case may be, 
We intercede for them, and it doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat. It doesn't matter. We're there to serve our constituents. That's one of the greatest roles that we have. But we're, we'll continue to, to do that. There are problems that we have to solve in America for all of our constituents, and I think that if you keep an open mind and you keep an open ear, you obviously, as a member, can't hear every person every single day, and that's why you have your staff there. But those messages get to me. They get to me, and I understand them, and I always ask them, if you're advocating for this, why would somebody be against it? Because I want to hear that side of the story, too. And that's what we do each and every day. All right, Ms. Castle, if you win, you'll be walking into a situation with lobbyists, corporate money, things like that. Uh, explain how you will keep access open for the constituents of the 2nd District and how you will allow them to influence your agenda in Washington. That's a really important question, Stephen. Thank you. The money in politics is very frustrating. I know as a first-time congressional candidate how money plays such an important part of this. It's a privilege to run for office. So many people cannot do it because they just can't afford to. So we do what we can. I'm doing what I can right now. But I see myself in that position, and I know I will have the in-person, uncensored town halls throughout our district all the time, as much time as I, that would allow, really. I know there's so much work to be done, but I think it is important to hear the voice of people that don't agree with me so I can take into consideration their thoughts and feelings. These are humans we are representing, and it is so important to not build walls, but to build bridges. I very much will take into account so many points of view, and I will have the people first. I can see myself not talking to lobbyists that I don't agree with their agendas if I think it's not for the people's best interests. I want to always have that in my forefront. As a representative, I am the ultimate champion and advocate for the people. Our next question, virtually all major campaigns for the past few years have included an infrastructure plan in their platforms. President Obama said there's no better time to invest in American infrastructure. President Trump has proposed a $2 trillion plan, but frankly, no one has delivered a sweeping agenda of change, the kind that used to ignite and unite America, Americans. Ms. Castle, we'll start with you. Where would you invest American money, create jobs, and have an impact here in southwestern Ohio? So this is an issue that is going to happen, I believe, if we take the opportunity. With the pandemic, there's going to be a need for an economic recovery. And what better time to have a modern sort of works project progress administration putting people to work on these projects to update and modernize our America. There is an issue though, Stephen, with people in our district. I see the kids that are learning these trades and they have these amazing skills, but they don't have the transportation to get to the construction jobs. So we need to give them a facilitation to get to the work. Maybe that is some type of grant or fund to get them cheap automobiles, but there's stuff that can be done to put people to work. The, the people in our district, District 2, they want to work and they are hard working. We need to get those opportunities to them. We have the opportunity to have this renewal of clean energy here as well. We need to take this pandemic and learn all the things that were broken before and fix it and build back better and use the opportunity to create the America that does work for everyone. 
Congressman, where would you invest American money, create jobs, and have an impact here in southwestern Ohio? Well, where we invest the money, a lot of it has to do with local decision-making process. You know, I think you saw in Ohio uh, in the past uh, couple of years where we did pass uh, a bill that increased taxes on gasoline. And I think that a lot of Ohioans didn't have any problem with that because what they saw was this was going to be money that then could be spent on Ohio and, and not just spent somewhere in Utah. And that's the problem we have at the federal level as far as those investments come in. The main thing that we really want to see, too, is the opportunities that come with jobs. The infrastructure will grow, especially when the private sector demands it. And the private sector often can play a part in this. We've, we created opportunity zones. This is opportunities for businesses to be developed in underserved areas that traditionally don't get manufacturing type jobs put in place. That'll put a lot of those people with vocational jobs to work. And not only that, they're paying taxes as they go. So your revenue base will go up. But the local influence has to be part of it. You know, I know there was a time in our history when there was something called earmarks. I'm glad there's not earmarks anymore. I think that they're inappropriate. But what you saw happen is, well, if you if you give me money to build my bridge there on the Ohio River, uh, then I'll give you money to build what's ever going on in Utah, whatever the case may be. So we have to work together with the private sector and we have to have a strong economy and we'll let local people decide what the infrastructure is that they need to make everything function best. All right, I'm gonna give you both of you a 30 second follow up to this congressman. You almost touched on it a little bit there. The Brent Spence Bridge, we've got presidents, congressmen, you name it, people have come out to say we're gonna replace it, but it's still there. Uh, 30 seconds to you, ma'am. Regarding that bridge, yes, regarding specifically, bridge. it's a <laughs> It's amazing that it's taken this long and still there's no solutions. It's becoming a danger. It should be on the federal level. It's an interstate bridge. It's too much to ask Kentucky. It's too much to ask Cincinnati to build this monstrosity of a project. I think it's too important for health and safety and for economy too, with so many trucks using that every day. We need to get federal dollars there now. Congressman Brent Well, Spence it is Bridge. an important issue. I-75 is important from Michigan down to Florida, and everybody recognizes that through all those states. And then you have I-71 there as well. But there are some solutions. If you looked at the debate that, we, that was taking place over this, it was over tolls or no tolls. That really was one of the concerns there. And I'd like to see us do what they do in the D.C. Beltway, which is you have easy pass lanes. So if you want to go across a bridge and not pay a toll, there may be times that you're sitting in traffic. But if you want to get through speedily, you're willing to pay that difference. That to me is the perfect compromise to what the debate was about all of this. All right. Our next question and possibly our final question of the evening, uh, Congressman, we're going to be starting with you on this one. I'd like each of you to talk about a time when someone with a political viewpoint different than yours changed your mind about an issue. What was the issue? How did they convince you? And what did you do about it after they changed your mind? Congressman. Yeah, and I, I might have to think for a second if there was a specific incident, but I, I know there's been times where people in my office and they're telling me something is going on and I'll say, well, I didn't know about that part. And I didn't know that the government was doing this and we want to change that. And so it does take place. And I tell, whenever I talk to any kind of a group that comes to D.C. or when I meet them here locally, and it's like your advocacy makes the difference. And so we do hear things out. And there's oftentimes you hear stories of how something that you may have thought was good maybe wasn't so good for certain people. And that's important to get to know. And we're recognizing that. And I'm telling you right now, a perfect example would be fighting for our small businesses 
and families that are still struggling from COVID. And we're hearing those stories back from them, how they can't go much longer, even though we got them some help, they need more. And so that is one of the things that we are fighting for to get them to it. So you don't necessarily recognize a problem until somebody comes to you with it. And that's the advantage of being open-minded and listening to, to your people. And again, uh, those, those letters, those emails, all of those things matter. And it does change your mind from time to time when you recognize what individuals may be going through that you didn't know about. Yeah, Ms. Castle, um, you know, what was the issue? How did they convince you? And what did you do about it after they changed your mind? Somebody from the opposite side. I think guns were probably that issue. Um, it is very much easy for somebody that is not around guns, does not like guns, to push back on that because it, you just don't understand why people would put guns in front of people's lives. So understanding that was something that happened with me. My father-in-law actually deals with antiques. So he was able to open my eyes to that culture more and see things through that lens and reframe things to understand that there are lawful folks that this is a part of their culture and to respect that. But it also allowed me to talk to him about things that can be done. And he actually helped me phrase my website portion on guns in a way that wouldn't push back people defensively because even the words gun safety is a turn off to some people. They often say, you know, guns don't kill people, people do. But we have to recognize that that's a tool that people can use. So we need to make sure that we're being responsible with that. So I think in any topic, I do like to listen and learn and see where people are coming from. And I think as a representative, I will bring that and come to the table to make solutions for everyone. Okay, we're gonna move into our final question. I don't think anybody is, wakes up wanting to be a congressman when they're five years old or something like that. So uh, Congressman, to you first, is there a politician in your lifetime who inspired you to run for office? Uh, I would have to say Ronald Reagan was inspiration for me. I mean, if I look at myself in my 20s and, uh, you know, coming out of college where you think you know everything, and you, but you start to learn and you start to pay more attention. And Ronald Reagan was a tremendous influence by the way he carried himself and his policies. I was also greatly influenced uh, by Pope John Paul II as a Catholic. I was greatly influenced by his leadership and how they worked together and, and did so many positive things. But you're right, you don't grow up thinking that. Uh, it was never my aspiration. You don't go and learn to become a doctor to then be in Congress. It doesn't always follow that way. But I'm, I'm proud to serve nonetheless, and I, and I thank you uh, for that question very much. All right, thank you, Congressman. Ms. Castle, to you, a politician in your lifetime that inspired you. 30 seconds. Well, I did not see myself running for Congress even a year ago, so this is something that, it's, it's an important question because there wasn't really role models for me. And I don't have a name that just pops into my mind. You think of someone having a trajectory that is only a certain route to become a Congresswoman. In the 2018 election, I did see women stepping up, and that challenged the stereotype of who deserves to be in Congress. We need to have that women's voice, and I want to be a role model to future women in Congress. All right, thank you, Ms. Castle. Time for our closing statements. Again, decided by a coin toss before our debate. Congressman, you have a minute and a half for your closing statement. Listen, I want to again thank you again, and WLW for hosting this forum tonight, and again, thank Jamie. Uh, for stepping up and running for Congress. Uh, as we said, we don't always plan on it, and uh, it takes a commitment to want to do something like that, and I, and I appreciate that. 
But you know, as a doctor and as a member of Congress, as a representative, the health and safety of all Americans has always been paramount to me. And whether it's your physical health or your economic health, and whether it's feeling safe in your home or safe in your community, or safe as a nation as we have adversaries around the world that seek to do us harm that don't like our freedoms. But I will commit to you that as, as your congressman, as I have done, I will continue to do, and that's to protect and preserve your constitutional rights as well as fight for equal justice at every turn. And I will also stress that I would like to see our government transform itself, and I've been working towards this, to be more parental rather than coming across as so punitive all the time, to provide best practices for people in America and guidance for businesses, et cetera. And lastly, to work towards peace and prosperity. As somebody who's been to war, and anybody who's been to war, you appreciate peace the most. We have that opportunity. We're seeing that happening in the Middle East. Let's see it, make sure we're making that happen at home. And lastly, as it says in America the Beautiful, God mend our every flaw. That is our job. That is our job as we move forward, not only for right now, but for the next generation. Thank you, everyone. Ms. Castle, your closing statement. My opponent has described Democrats mockingly as having superior imaginations. And I do have a superior imagination because I imagine an America where the elected officials are beholden to the people and not the businesses and special interests. I imagine an America where anyone can thrive regardless of race, religion, gender identity, or physical ability. I imagine an America where everyone has access to the health care they need to thrive, where everyone has the clean air, land, and waterways, the educational opportunities and resources. 2016 made people pay attention to politics in a way we had never before. And that is a good thing. We need to pay attention to our elected officials, not just what they say if they say they are protecting us, but pay attention to their voting record. You will see, if you look at my opponent's voting record, back in May, he did not vote to protect pre-existing conditions. He has voted many times not to protect people from workforce violations based on who they are. And he is not voting for the HEROES Act right now that we need right now. If you're happy with the status quo and the chaos and the divisiveness, please vote for my opponent. If you want change, vote for me, Jamie Castle. All right, I'd like to thank both of our candidates for being here at WLWT tonight. We want to remind our viewers that early voting is underway in Ohio. You can get details on casting an early in-person ballot, an absentee ballot, or voting on Election Day on WLWT.com. Next week, same time, we'll be hosting a debate in Ohio's first congressional district between Congressman Steve Shabbat and his challenger, Kate Schroeder. For all of us here at WLWT, I'm Stephen Albritton. Have a great night. Accuracy. It matters in everything you do. Your GPS needs to be accurate. Take a left on third. Your taxes need to be accurate. And your dentist needs to be accurate. You choose accuracy every day. And for an accurate forecast, choose WLWT Weather. It's the only forecast in Cincinnati independently certified most accurate. Nine years in a row and counting. Accuracy does matter. Choose accuracy. Choose WLWT Weather.